We are hardly strangers to the Babysitter's Club here on SSR, but on episode 52, we take a look at what some might consider a watershed moment for the babysitters. I'm talking about the 10th book in the series, Logan Likes Marianne, in which the girls start 8th grade, where they'll stay forever, their business seriously booms, Christy feels out of the loop, Marianne panics when her shoe goes flying through the air at a school dance, and the babysitters make an unsuccessful attempt to throw Marianne a surprise birthday party. Oh, and as the title suggests, we meet Logan Bruno. He's the new kid at school, and he is absolutely dreamy even if he can't tolerate the sound of the word bra. He and Marianne are crushing pretty hard in this book, which is kind of what fuels all of the other storylines I just mentioned. These events inspire so many great conversations on the episode you're about to listen to. My guests and I talk about the significance of 8th grade both in this series and in real life. We discuss queer coding and anxiety throughout the BSC, the problematic nature of the boy-crazy trope, and our frustration with the idea presented here that dating boys is a prerequisite to maturing in a quote, normal way. We chat about surprise parties, the morality of babysitting, and how uncomfortable it is to see Christy feeling out of sorts. We also consider our complicated feelings about Logan. Is he the dreamboat we all remember or a mansplainer? Keep listening to find out. And, of course, we compare notes on the role that Anne M. Martin's work played in our own formative years. I am absolutely thrilled today to welcome Megan Milks and Marissa Crawford, co-editors of a new collection out today that's called We Are the Babysitter's Club, Essays and Artwork from Grown-Up Readers. You'll hear more about the collection at the end of this episode, but I am going to do something that I rarely do right now and plug my guests' work before the show even begins. I absolutely loved We Are the Babysitter's Club, and I can't recommend it enough to anyone who enjoys this podcast. The book represents so many different perspectives about the BSC. It made me feel all kinds of feelings, and it maybe even inspired me to step it up when it comes to future episodes about the Babysitter's Club. Plus, several former SSR guests contributed to the collection, which is pretty cool. Find a link to get a copy of We Are the Babysitter's Club in this week's show notes at www.ssrpodcast.com slash listen slash episode 152, or search for it after you tap the bookshop.org link in SSR's Instagram bio. Seriously, though, I need everybody to read it because I want to discuss it. Let me tell you a little bit more about Megan and Marissa. Megan Milks is the author of the novel Margaret and the Mystery of the Missing Body, which is forthcoming from Feminist Press, and the nonfiction book Remember the Internet Number 2, Tori Amos Bootleg Webring, forthcoming from Instar Books. They teach writing and gender and women's studies in New York and can be found on Instagram and Twitter at Nagum, their name backwards, and online at meganmilks.com. Marissa Crawford is the author of the poetry collections Reversible and The Haunted House from Switchback Books and the chapbooks Eighth Grade Hippie Chic and Big Brown Bag. Her work about feminism, art, and pop culture has appeared in The Nation, Harper's Bazaar, Bust, Vice, Hyperallergic, Bitch, Ms., The Rumpus, and elsewhere. Marissa is the creator and editor-in-chief of Weird Sister, a website and organization that explores the intersections of feminism, literature, and pop culture. Learn more about her work at marissacrawford.net and follow her on Instagram at marissa underscore Crawford and on Twitter at Marissa Crawford. That was a long intro, but Megan and Marissa deserve every word. It was such a treat chatting with them, and I really hope you'll check out their book. I also hope you'll check out all things SSR on social media. We are at SSRPod on Instagram and Twitter, and you can find the show on Facebook by searching the SSR Podcast or the SSR Podcast Community. We just kicked off a new month of free book clubs in the SSR Book Club, aka the SSRBC. In July, our fabulous volunteer leaders are facilitating conversations about Bridge to Terabithia and The Princess Diaries. 
The SSRBC is totally free to join and gives you a taste of what it's like to be a guest on this very podcast. We recently rolled out a Slack option, so even if you're not big on Facebook or Facebook groups, you can still join us in the book club. Learn more at www.ssrpodcast.com slash ssrbookclub or at the link in SSR's Instagram bio. We would love to have you in the club. You can definitely sit with us. If you're digging what's happening in the SSR world, there are a few ways you can support, which I really appreciate since this is an independent one-woman show. You can leave a five-star rating or review on Apple Podcasts, post this episode to your Instagram stories, shop for SSR merch at www.ssrpodcast.com shop, or become a member of our Patreon community. That last option has a lot to offer you as well, since a Patreon membership comes with lots of perks, including newsletters, reading recap videos, bonus episodes, SSR swag, and more. You'll even get to be part of our brand new Patreon-exclusive book club, which is called SWR, or Shit We Read. In July, we are reading The Other Black Girl by Zakia Delilah Harris, and it's not too late to join us. Get all the Patreon details and get involved at www.patreon.com slash ssrpodcast or by going to www.ssrpodcast.com and clicking support at the top of the page. I am so grateful to all of the Patreon patrons who continue to help me keep this podcast going strong. As always, I would love to give a shout out to my friends at Libro FM who give us the opportunity to support independent bookstores when we shop for audiobooks. SSR listeners can get a discount on their first audiobook purchase from Libro FM. Go to Libro FM, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and use code SSRPOD when prompted on the site to get a two-month audiobook membership for the price of just one month. Now let's go to the show. Welcome to the SSR Podcast. You may recognize SSR as an elementary school era abbreviation for silent sustained reading, but if you don't, that's okay. What it stands for here is Shit She Read. Each week, we'll crack the binding on an old school read written for kids or teens and talk about it from a kind of grown-up perspective. We'll obsess over heartthrobs, relive the frustrations of middle school, and say an occasional WTF to a beloved author. If we haven't met yet, I'm your host, Ali Hoff-Kosick freelance writer, lifelong bookworm, and lover of anything covered in rainbow sprinkles. So find your favorite reading spot and a glass of wine. We're about to revisit some literary throwbacks right here on the SSR Podcast. Hi, Megan. Hi, Marissa. Welcome to SSR. Hi. Hi. Thanks so much for having us. Yeah, so happy to be here. I'm so thrilled. So we were joking before we started recording that you are my favorite new Babysitter's Club experts and go-to people. And I hope that you're okay with that distinction because you do have this very exciting new book coming out called We Are the Babysitter's Club. And I want to talk more about that at the end of this episode. But like, are we comfortable embracing that title? Is that okay? (laughs) I love it. I'm honored. (laughs) (laughs) I hope we can deliver. Yeah. I don't want to oversell you or anything, but I have a good feeling. Um, And also, I know we're recording in mid-June, but as this episode drops, it will be the release day for your book. So I hope that as this episode drops, as listeners are tuning in, that you are somewhere celebrating and, I don't know, doing something Babysitter's Club-esque. Like, I guess if you're uh, Claudia eating some Twizzlers or if you're a Don, like getting a salad, whatever it is, (laughs) I hope you're enjoying it sometime in the future on July 6th. 
Amazing. <laughs> so we're talking specifically about the 10th installment in the series today, Logan Likes Mary Ann, exclamation point, which I think is a very important part of the title. But I'd love if we could start with a more general conversation about the series and what drew you to it. I mean, you obviously have a strong connection to it in some way because you have put together this book. And I guess I'd just love if you would each share kind of like what that connection looks like in your life, where it comes from, and then we can dive into the specific book. Yeah. Do you want to go first, Marissa? Um, sure. I mean, yeah, I definitely grew up reading the Babysitter's Club books, obviously, and was like, you know, heading to the library um, every week, picking up the next one and um, just really into the books as a kid. And yeah, I feel like the series just kind of like stayed with me um, as a grown up. One of my favorite like anecdotes that I tell sometimes around the series is like when I lived um, in San Francisco and I was in like a really bad mood, I just like went for a walk and went into a used bookstore and stumbled upon the first meeting of an adult babysitter's club book club. And I was like, hello, I will be joining this book club. I want to join that book club. It was incredible. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's just kind of been something that stuck with me. And and yeah, so excited to to be, you know, thinking about it through this book and, and talking about it more. What about you, Megan? Yeah, I mean, like, like Marissa, um, I just was got really hooked on the series and just loved these characters and really felt like Stony Brook was a world that I loved being, you know, invited into in this way uh, as a kid. And um, I didn't really have any friends who were like big readers at that time. And so um, I didn't really have the experience of like, sharing that love with my friends. So it's been really, um, really uh, wonderful to get to have that experience, like as a grown up um, with Marissa, with like all of our contributors and with this like broader world of Babysitter's Club fandom that we're, we're getting into. Well, it is a really interesting time for the fandom too, if I'm not mistaken. And and I think especially last year, 2020, when the Netflix adaptation came out, there was obviously so much buzz around the series, around the whole franchise. And then these graphic novels that have been coming out have given the series new life. So it's been fun even for me with the podcast. And I don't cover Babysitter's Club books every week, but I've covered enough of them at this point to kind of track along with the way the fandom has evolved because the podcast launched in 2018, which was kind of like right before I feel like this uptick happened. And so it has been really cool to sort of watch how this like new fandom around the babysitters has developed. And uh, yeah, I, I like being a part of it whenever I get the chance to with my guests. So thank you so much again for being here. We are talking about the 10th book in the series, as I mentioned earlier. And when we started chatting about having you both on the show, I'm pretty sure I just gave you carte blanche to like choose whichever installment you wanted. So I'm also curious as to why this was the one that you went with, because I actually don't remember if I read this one as a kid and so I think it was my first experience with Logan Likes Marianne. So yeah, I'm curious as to why this is the one you picked. Yeah, I mean, I'll let Megan talk about this book because their piece in We Are the Babysitter's Club talks a lot about um, Logan Likes Marianne specifically. Um, and Megan, I was thinking a lot about your essay as I was reading this book. It's kind of this um, insightful, moving piece about like queer anxiety within the series. But yeah, Megan, do you want to talk more about it? For me, Logan, number 10, Logan Likes Marianne, exclamation point, is a real turning point in the series for a number of reasons. 
first off, it is the book in which the sitters, the the core members, um, enter the eighth grade, which is where they will stay for the rest of their for the rest of the life of the series forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. <laughs> <laughs> and right, so Marianne turns thirteen at the end of the book, and so at, by the end of the book, and and M. Martin makes this makes a point of this in in her note at the end. So now they're all thirteen and in eighth grade, and of course it's the first um, real romance um, of the series, um, which is a big deal. Like everything changes in some ways, not not all, not all of the ways. And for me, you know, uh, for those reasons, it's it's a really important and and uh, key. I'm I'm just babbling now, but yeah, an, an important uh, book in the in the series. Yeah, I mean, there's so much going on here. There's a lot going on. And yet at the same time, it feels like nothing happens. But it's weird because I kept like checking in with myself and trying to like keep track of where everybody was emotionally <laughs> with what's happening in the transition to eighth grade. And I do think that the transition to eighth grade is a really fascinating one for most kids. It was for me for a lot of reasons. I think some kids move into, I believe, sort of like a high school configuration where they're the youngest. Like I know that some high schools are like eight to 12. And then sometimes you're moving into the situation where you're like ruling the school, which is kind of what's happening with these girls. For me, I moved at the very beginning of eighth grade. And I had had a really terrible middle school experience in sixth and seventh grade. I had also moved at the beginning of sixth grade. It was just like a really hard time in my personal life. And then I moved in November of eighth grade and like everything changed. Mm. everything got better. I was so much happier. I was so nervous when I moved because I was like, okay, I'm in eighth grade and I'm going to rule the school, but I don't know anybody. And I still like felt so comfortable in my new environment. And so anytime I read a book that takes place in eighth grade, and especially at that like precipice where you're like on the eve of going into eighth grade, I'm reminded of that time, but it really can go either way because it's such a stressful, weird time. And I apologize to listeners if you can hear a motorcycle outside my house right now. Um, my husband just like transition to working from home in a different space. And so I'm recording in different spaces. So if you hear that street noise, I'm sorry, but I was making a very important point about eighth grade and how much I loved it. <laughs> I also know that a lot of people have a hard time in eighth grade. And Marianne has like, she has a lot of feelings. Like she's not quite sure what to expect. Are we big Marianne fans here? Like where is she sort of in your overall, like maybe personal affinity ranking of the babysitters. I always felt very much like a Marianne when I was younger. I've developed into more of a Christy. And according to the BuzzFeed quiz, I think I'm more of a Claudia like Stacy, which I'm not quite sure I understand. But as a kid, I think I was much more Marianne. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's so interesting. Well, just like what you're saying about eighth grade was really resonating. Like when I was just to get back to that for one second, like yeah. the eighth grade thing when when I was I hadn't read this book in a while. And I was like, wait, do they start eighth grade like regularly in these books? Or is it just one? So that is really like, powerful that this is the one time that we see the BSC enter eighth grade. Like it's pretty important. And I also loved eighth grade. I, I find myself writing a lot about eighth grade. So I was wondering if like maybe my obsession with eighth grade started with the BSC. Um, Interesting. But yeah, Mary, uh, Marianne. So I feel like when I was reading these books as a kid, I didn't, I feel like I didn't pay that much attention to Marianne. Like I felt like she was, and maybe it's because I didn't want to see myself in her like she's so shy and kind of like quiet and um and maybe I just like wanted to um you know identify with someone who was like more outgoing and fun but I think like as an adult I definitely can 
appreciate her more. Yeah, the depth of emotion that she displays as a, that she expresses as a narrator here is is really quite something. Yeah, I feel like all of the Marianne books are actually in some ways richer emotionally than some of the other ones. But I'm, I may be biased because I did um, really love Marianne <laughs> as a kid. And I still love her though. She's also really frustrating. I mean, her reaction to that shoe incident <sighs> in the gym, I mean, come on. The shoe incident. <laughs> even I felt like that was a little bit over the top. And, <laughs> and I don't even always think that her over the top reactions are that over the top. So that's saying something. When we get back in touch with Marianne in this book, she's coming back from this summer of babysitting, obviously, because when are they not babysitting with Stacy and we find out that she has become dun 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 boy crazy. <laughs> and I want to talk a little bit about this trope because it it bothers me. Mm -hmm. um, and it bothers me not just in this book, but in a lot of the books we've covered on the podcast and in movies and in TV shows, all really from like this year, this this era. I should point out that this book was published in 1988, but this is a trope that I think we see over and over again in pop culture for tweens and teens. And I think there are a lot of issues with it. I think it suggests that like this is a thing that has to happen that as as a teenager you're supposed to at some point like come into your like sexual awakening and like express that in a very outward way and that if you don't there's something wrong with you um i think it's like a very heteronormative idea that like as a tween or teen girl you should just like fall into boy craziness i think it sort of ignores the fact that there are a lot of other ways that a tween or teen can like come into their understanding of their identity and of their sexuality and it's also just like annoying <laughs> i just <laughs> and as a teen who really to use like a very like dated phrase was like a late bloomer i really took a lot of these depictions kind of to heart and felt like oh is there something wrong with me that like i'm not experiencing these feelings and i don't know i guess to make one more point about it i think it sort of like creates this dichotomy where like you either are like boy crazy and you're a Marianne or a Stacy or you're a Christy and you're like afraid of exploring relationships and intimacy and sexuality. And I think that is so wrong. Like there's such a spectrum of, of this experience and also like the time and the age that people come into this. So I don't know. I just, I think that of course this was like very much of its time. And so I wouldn't like pretend that Anna Martin is the only one who wrote boy craziness in this way but I think it's important to talk about yeah I really appreciate everything that you just said um about that trope and um I think it relates to to like the trope of immaturity too like on the on the other side mm. of it and rereading it this time I just noted just how many times the word immature is used as an insult mm. it's like the worst thing you could be right like yeah. I mean we are in a world of pretty light insults <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah. yeah so many characters are called immature not just christy hmm. and even the babysitting charges like charlotte at one point is like this is too babyish you know it's like <laughs> everything is measured on me in this uh axis yeah that's i hadn't thought about it that way it's like because when i think about myself bringing it back to me um like i do feel like i was a very mature kid i've always been sort of old for my age but I do remember feeling like on this one subject, as far as like my interest in having relationships with other people, I was perceived as immature because I wasn't interested and all of my friends were. And I think it is so, so fascinating like that that's a conclusion that people choose to make so quickly in this book that like Christy, because she's not ready 
to explore mm -hmm. relationships and to maybe like just generally act the way that Marianne seems finally ready to act. Like that means that she's immature. And look, Christy's running a freaking business. She is not <laughs> immature by any stretch. Yeah, I mean, and yeah, like that idea of like being not ready or behind is like something like, yeah, Megan, you talk about it in your piece. And I think another contributor to our book, Frankie Thomas talks about like how in some of the Christy books, the term like not ready is used like so much to like suggest that she will eventually want a boyfriend like don't worry you know and I think that like it's just interesting to see how that is um how they choose to talk about it in that way of like being behind being ready like in this book I was like really I was kind of surprised like I know that there are romances in the BSC but I was sort of like shocked when I started reading it like I didn't remember how much these books were kind of like shaping my ideas as a kid around like gendered like hetero romance like these these girls are obsessed with logan like all of them <laughs> it's wild they're like yeah. fawning over him for like his experience doing like the exact same work that they all do all the time like <laughs> yeah i mean his flight arrived from louisville or as he says i believe like louisville i don't know i'm sure i said that wrong but like marianne makes it very clear that that's he says it in a special way his flight landed and life in stony brook has never been the same like they are all laser focused on Logan. And I always joke about this in every Babysitter's Club episode. But one of my favorite things about this series is that like, everybody babysits, whether or not you babysit and interact with children is a measure of your character. And in this book, I feel like the fact that Logan is a babysitter is like a turn on for Marianne. Like she's like, and he was a babysitter. Like, yes, like now he's actually perfect. He's not just like, handsome and he doesn't just look like Cam Geary, my teen idol, but he also <laughs> hangs out with kids and he's good with kids. And I also think that like I'm 30 and I feel like I'm at this stage in my life where people are sort of dividing into like, are you going to have children? Are you not going to have children? And that becomes this like weird measure of your character in its own way. And so maybe I'm being extra sensitive to the way these books portray that. But I do think that's a thing that like follows you even into adulthood. It's like, are you the kind of person that enjoys children or are you not? And what does that say about you? And the fact that like Logan shows up in Connecticut and is like, I have all this experience babysitting. First of all, I'm sorry, I never met a 12 or 13 year old boy in my middle school who like led with that in a conversation. And it's very cool that he does, but not true to my own experience. But I just love that this was something that like, well, of course he babysits. If I like him, of course he babysits. Otherwise, I couldn't possibly like him. Yeah, it's an important quality. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's true. I'm thinking now of um, Christy, like the the boy that Christy ends up having a kind of like, will they or won't they be boyfriend and girlfriend relationship with um, Bart, who is not a babysitter, but is like a baseball coach. Bart of Bart's bashers, of course. Oh, yes, right. yeah. Yes. Uh, and so it's also <laughs> like, you know, yeah, among children all the time. So definitely a, a really uh, important quality in the, in the boys of the BSC world. Yeah, yeah, I think it's like, well, definitely, I guess, like the being loving to babysit seems like within the BSC to be like a moral, like it's kind of like, well, so like Gabrielle Moss has a piece in our book that talks about like the moral universe of the BSC. And I think, you know, loving to babysit is kind of like these girls are showing that they're kind of like, what's their like good with children. They're, they're maternal almost. Like it's kind of this like gendered behavior. And then I feel like with Logan, 
it's like the fact that he babysits sort of makes him like unthreatening in a way, like mm. as this boy that's showing up in their world. Hmm. That's really interesting. I love Gabby. She was one of my first guests actually on this podcast. Oh, amazing. Um, yeah, she was one of my first connections that I made in this in this world. So yeah, no, I think those are really good points. And I do think that like, so I didn't babysit much when I was a teenager, which was strange because I do feel like a lot of the girls in my circle, especially when I was 12 and 13, and like there weren't a lot of other jobs you could do, like they were babysitting. That was a job that you could do. I babysat for my sisters a lot because I have much younger siblings. And I enjoyed hanging out with them because they were my sisters and because it was helpful to my parents. But I was not I was not a person even as a young teenager who was like naturally drawn to children. It just like was never my thing. I think that it is kind of interesting to think about the fact that like teenagers in the 80s and 90s especially were raised with the babysitters as this like ideal of like this is this is how girls behave. Like they love hanging out with children and like they love hanging out with each other and like their whole world is built around like child rearing and like caretaking. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that, of course, but I do think it's sort of set up this like this, yeah, this moral universe, as Gabby describes it in your book. And now that we have like boys introduced in the mix in this book, it's sort of like, I guess it sort of, it shines a different light on it, I think. Although it is, it's, it's cool that he comes in and he's interested in the same things, because I can see this kind of book going a different way where Logan shows up and he's like, I would never hang out with kids. Like I only play sports. So I, I guess it's refreshing that he comes in and is not like falling into some of those like typical, like heteronormative masculine stereotypes. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. But then on the other hand, that's totally right. Yeah. But on the other hand, um, when he does like show up at that, at that meeting, it's like embarrassing for everyone. <laughs> Oh my gosh, because we need to talk about that. <laughs> they can't talk about bra straps. Suddenly Logan can't talk about this like kid he babysat who like what happened with Elliot? There's like a with, dog like, poop situation. Like you can't say that in mixed company. <laughs> no, that's rude, Marissa. How dare you even suggest it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, Logan's discomfort with the word bra comes up again and again throughout the book. Like it's not just a one-time incident. There's a callback to it. Like it's ultimately the literal reason that he does not officially join the babysitter's club. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. I was like, I mean, that seems so strange. Like that Logan doesn't want to join the babysitter's club and they don't want him to because they feel too embarrassed, like hanging out casually. Like it felt, it just felt so conservative and strange, like even perhaps for the time, like, yeah, I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't feel true to life to me. Like I feel like kids of all genders, like could probably talk about a bra or like dog poop together. (laughs) Maybe I'm wrong. (laughs) I mean, definitely dog poop for sure. Dog poop. I do remember. Yeah. I agree. I do seem to remember when I was in middle school, like maybe you could talk about it in mixed company, but I remember like a general like discomfort. And maybe it's because I was again, like, as somebody might say, immature, that I probably would have gotten like a little like, okay, haha, like, let's talk about like a dog instead. Um, (laughs) But I, I, I do remember there being some discomfort, but it does seem extreme that like, he's like, I can't even hang out with you. Sorry, like, I can't even be part of this club. I don't want to make money as a babysitter. I'm kind of into Marianne, but I don't even want to hang out with her because she might talk about a bra again. Like, that seems, it seems like an intense reaction. 
potentially an overreaction. But generally, like, what do we think about Logan as a character? I've gotten a lot of DMs from people who saw that I was reading this book who said that Logan was like their first book boyfriend, their first book crush. Do we have any like general thoughts on him before he says some like really offensive things later on in the book, which I cannot wait to talk about? I mean... Yeah, those things are coming to mind for me. Um, so we'll get into that. But maybe maybe you should speak on Megan. I'm not Logan Megan, since I know that he's important to you. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, now I'm wondering, like, what are the offensive things? Um, I must have just blown right by them this time. But I guess we can, you know. Oh, I got uh, him all queued there. up. I got him ready to go. <laughs> if we're talking about the same thing. Maybe we're not. <laughs> I was bothered by some things that I didn't expect to be bothered by. I'll just say that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Logan. Yeah. He's like the quintessential Southern gentleman, right? Like he's chivalrous. He's sensitive. He's a dreamboat. He's got that accent. Um, And he seems just like totally perfectly at ease. And he babysits, Megan. Don't forget he babysits. He babysits. Yes. (laughs) What a catch. But yeah, I think... In my essay, I talk a little bit about kind of like identifying as like a, as like a Mary Ann Christie Logan triad because I feel like all of them together are sort of are sort of like where where I'm at like as a trans masculine person I guess is is where I'm going with this. But he seems like yeah I think he's like a good model for adolescent masculinity. <laughs> yeah, I feel like when he first shows up and maybe throughout the series, like, I never, like, loved Logan, but I guess, um, I don't remember, like, loving him. Like, you were saying, um, Allie, that a lot of people were DMing you that he was their first, like, literary boyfriend as a child. Like, definitely didn't feel that way about him. But he seemed nice. Like, I feel like in this book, at first, like, he seems like a nice guy. It's cute that he comes up and he's like, hey, hey, y'all, I babysit. And, like, it's like, he's like, really nice to Jackie Radowski. Like, I feel like, yeah, he seems like a nice, sweet person. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's he doesn't have a ton of personality, at least not in this book. Right. I do feel like he gets a little bit more pronounced in other books that we've read for the podcast. I remember him, like, coming through for Marianne a couple of times when she, like, really needed him, which I appreciate. And especially in eighth grade, like, that's not necessarily a given. If I remember correctly, one of the super specials, um, Snowbound, I think he, like hiked through town in a blizzard with like a backpack of food to give Marianne because she was of course snowed in babysitting like he shows up when she needs him and I appreciate that I don't think that like many eighth grade boyfriends would do that in my experience not having one of course because I was afraid but my friends who did have eighth grade boyfriends I don't know that they would have had that experience I also remember when I watched the Netflix adaptation last summer I think he shows up for like a second in one episode like we realize like oh here he is And I was watching with my husband, who really doesn't know much about the Babysitter's Club. And I found myself like, I was like, it's Logan, like he's here. Um, (laughs) Like he's arrived. And so I do, I do think it is exciting when he like comes on the scene. And I'm curious to see how they sort of round him out further in the next season of Netflix, because they're definitely like introducing him. And so I'll be curious to see like, if he maybe has a little bit more personality in our 2021 imagining of him than he does in the books. I also appreciate that he like brings 
some new ideas to the Babysitter's Club. You mentioned Jackie Radowski, who is their first client. They kind of decide to like welcome him in on a conditional basis. Basically, like they had such a great marketing idea to advertise at the PTA that now they're in over their heads. And what are they going to do? Because Christy is just so good at running a club and a business that now they have more business than they know what to do with. So Logan's going to help, but Marianne has to like supervise him and see how he does. And they go to babysit this kid, Jackie Radowski. And I related to Marianne in this moment because she's watching him and she's like, I would not do any of these things the way he's doing them. Like she's very cautious that he's not handling things the way she would. But she is at a certain point able to like recognize that Jackie is still like for the most part happy, healthy and safe. And that like Logan's special sauce sort of approach actually could bring something cool to the babysitters club. And I I liked that lesson for her. I liked that moment for her. And I had, you know, you have to appreciate the fact that these girls are like, I mean, we don't know if you can join our club yet. Like we have, you have to try out, like we need to supervise you as a babysitter before we can let you in. I did appreciate the way this book sort of presented them as like young entrepreneurs. I thought we got like a lot of that in this book. Yeah, totally. Yeah. There was a lot of, um, of entrepreneurship happening. Like, I feel like they, they have all these like strict rules about how they do things that, that, that came up in this book. And yeah, it's true. Like Logan has like a different style than Marianne, but it's like still good. Um, I'm remembering, did you all ever watch those, like the HBO show from the nineties? I remember I had the HBO babysitters club show. I had like a cassette and it was called Logan and the brunettes. Um, It was like an episode. It was kind of like this, but a little different, but it's like, the mean girls like Koki and some other mean girls like are like hitting on Logan and like it's like a whole thing but I feel like Logan's like a little a little too clueless in that adaptation but (laughs) just a side note if anyone wants to go watch Marianne and the brunettes highly recommend I might have to do that (laughs) I might have to check it out so should we talk about the things that Logan said that we did not like Marissa are we ready to go in on Logan for a second here Yeah, I mean, I was like a little surprised. I just felt like he was acting like Marianne was like so lucky to have him. Like he was like, honestly, Marianne, like sometimes you're too sensitive. I I believe that was a quote. Sometimes you're too sensitive. I really wasn't sure things would work out between us. Yeah, so I have the quote. And then I have some quotes about the quote from a blog I found on medium. So first I'll share like the source material. So Logan says, if you could just open up more, I mean, be the way you are right now, people would have a much easier time getting to know you. (laughs) I almost didn't ask you to the dance, you know, because you're different from other girls, more something more serious, not serious, like some old professor, hilarious, but serious about people. You listen to them and understand them and take them seriously. People like to be taken seriously. It makes them feel worthwhile. But you have a sense of humor too, which is nice. (laughs) The only thing is, sometimes you're too sensitive. I really wasn't sure things would work out between us. Um, (laughs) And I would love to share these quotes about the quote because I just thought they were great. So I will link to this blog in the show notes. But this blogger wrote, first of all, Logan says something misogynist and shitty. I was into him. I understood what Marianne saw in him. I thought, yeah, this guy deserves to be a consistent side character with his own spinoff book. Then he ruined it. Fuck you, Logan. (laughs) I thought you were cool. Now you're just like every other shitty boy. These are the reasons this passage sucked. One, he's trying to tell her how to be more appealing to everyone else. It's none of his business why she won't open up to others. And if she doesn't want to, she doesn't have to. You need to accept that. 
Two, you're not like other girls is misogynistic and pits women against each other. Girls have traits that are different and the same. Girls are human beings, just like boys, and come in a spectrum of personalities. Three, this also implies that others could never be sensitive, which is just not true. Four, don't otherize a girl, pulling her away from the sisterhood, separating her power. And don't pull out a desirable trait and convince her that other girls don't have that trait. What is wrong with you? Five, (laughs) finally, he tries to change her. So what if Marianne is too sensitive? It's who she is. Yeah. (laughs) All fair points. (laughs) All fair points, yeah. I mean, yeah, like I definitely felt like it was like, like veering toward mansplaining when he's like, you are all these things and this is what you need to be. And like, I was a little bothered by that. But yeah, it's true. Like, yeah, Marianne's great the way she is. Like maybe, maybe, maybe she's not right for Logan, but that's Logan's problem. Yeah, you guys are 13. Like if she's not right for you, you'll find someone else. It's gonna be okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Megan, any thoughts on that? Well, I'm so glad that uh, you all you all brought it up. Yeah, the other moment that was was a red flag for me, honestly, was like when he was, you know, explaining the film Meatballs to her over the phone, <laughs> <laughs> just to take up space. <laughs> I mean, on Marianne on Marianne's end, she's like, "Thank God he's talking, so I don't have to." But he's just like going off. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That is a red flag. That's an excellent point. I feel like Marianne is the type to make a pro-con list, and I hope that that's on the con side. Mm, that's true. Yeah, it really should be. It was Meatballs, right? Yeah, it was totally yeah, Meatballs, it was which meatballs. is really funny. Like, Meatballs is a real movie, right? I think so. I think so, too. But it feels so. like it's, like, one movie that comes up. Like, there's only, like, a few like, real pieces of pop culture that the BSC references, yeah. and I feel like Meatballs comes up a lot in the Babysitter's Club books. <laughs> I felt like he also had like a little bit of a harshness in tone sometimes that isn't allowed as much um, for like the girl characters. Like just even how he was like, I don't want to join the babysitter's club. Like I feel like if any of like the girl uh, members said that it would be like someone would express their feelings were hurt or like they would have to talk about it. And it doesn't, it kind of, it gets parsed through by the end of the book, but I just felt like he was a little harsh. Yeah, I mean, as somebody who has been perhaps called too sensitive and too serious pretty much my whole life, I would say that like it was like upsetting to me to to see Marianne like on the receiving end of those kind of comments. And of course, like the 2021 version of me is like, I feel like there's something sort of like bachelor, bachelorette about this whole thing of like, your walls are up. Like, why are your walls up? Like, you need to put your walls down. And like, maybe Marianne, like, will someday want to put her walls down. But like, she's 13. And she's like, never had a relationship before. And she's really scared to talk to boys. And yeah, anytime a sort of like potential love interest in a book does that thing where he says to a girl, and it it is always... I hate to say it, it's always like a boy love interest talking to like a girl protagonist. Whenever he says like, this is what you are. This is what I see you as. And like, this is how you could be or how you might do better as. Like that always upsets me. Like I just hate any time you see any protagonist or any character like being told who they are and like being put into any sort of box especially by somebody who they're into and like kind of having a nice little relationship with so I don't know it made me sad because there are a lot of things about Logan that I really liked I thought that he was trying really hard to be 
good to Marianne. I thought he did a pretty good job of making her feel comfortable in situations where she was otherwise uncomfortable. Her like general embarrassment and anxiety about her first school dance like was so relatable except for her full panic about her shoe flying off of her (laughs) foot. Like even I could not relate to that. But yeah, I feel like he for the most part was really good for her and was sort of like good for her as a first boyfriend in this very like particular specific kind of way. But I'm like, why did you have to say that to her? And she like receives it pretty well. Mm. Yeah, it's true. And it's like, I feel like it's not a great, it's not a great message, I guess, for girls also like that that's like, okay for your boyfriend to say that to you. Because it's like, really not like no one needs to tell you you're too sensitive. Yeah, or to be like, you're too sensitive, but also you have a sense of humor. So that's okay. <laughs> like, it's okay to be serious as long as you can be funny sometimes. So yeah, that's that was my like big red flag moment with Logan, although I recognize Megan's uh, point about the meatballs reference as well, because <laughs> I don't, I would have hung up the phone. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the birthday party because, yeah. oh, I'm sorry, it's not a birthday party. We're not supposed to call it a birthday party. It's a party during which Marianne's birthday is going to be celebrated because Stacy's like, oh, Marianne would not enjoy a surprise birthday party. So let's just like not call it a birthday party and we'll call it a party where her birthday is celebrated and then she won't be mad. What are your thoughts on surprise parties in general? Like, are we in favor of them? Do we enjoy them? What are your thoughts? Um, I mean, I yeah, I, I love a surprise party. I would be happy to have one thrown for me. I would love to throw one for someone else. But I can understand some people wouldn't like it. <laughs> what about you, Megan? I personally would not really enjoy a surprise party right now. There was a period of time when I was, I think, in like ninth grade, where like everyone I knew, we were all just throwing surprise parties for <laughs> each other. So we all, we all were expecting it. That's amazing. Um, <laughs> There was like no way to hide it. And it was fun. But it, that, yeah. Well, that's fun. I mean, if it's like a, a tradition, if it's like a ritual in your group, then that's cool. I always think that I would like a surprise party. But then I remember that I'm Marianne. And then I remember that I, I actually cried at every single event leading up to my wedding because I was so upset about being the center of attention. Like cried at everything. Cried every time more than three people were looking at me. Um, So yeah, I think like when my 30th birthday came around and I was like, oh, I wish people would throw me a surprise party. If only it weren't the pandemic, like that would be so fun. And then I remember that and I'm like, "Mm, I don't think I would handle that very well. So I really do relate to Marianne's reaction. Listeners, basically like she gets to this party, she thinks it's just going to be like a party. And then everybody shows up with a cake and presents and it's like clearly for her and for her birthday. And this was sort of like a misstep by Stacy because like Stacy went out of her way kind of to like make it not a birthday party, but like just did not really think it through because it very much felt like a birthday party in that moment. And I will say that even as somebody who struggles with being the center of attention, I think that Marianne maybe overreacted. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna, I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> What'd you say? Oh, she flees uh, oh, the scene. Yeah, she just flees. Yeah, I think like, it's true what you're saying. Like the, the center of attention thing is is would be hard for me to get over. I think it's like what comes after that, the regular party is fun. But like, I think, yeah, her reaction was so extreme that I, it's fair. She's, you know, she's a young child. Like she just not, didn't know how to respond and just ran out of the party. But it was like, it was really extreme. <laughs> to react that way but also we have to remember that this it wasn't really a party 
that it wasn't the kind of party that Marianne would have thrown for herself because it was a boy girl party where Stacy invited like all of these peripheral people characters uh, who Marianne d- doesn't have like close relationships to. Yeah. So it was really a That's selfish a great act. Point. On yeah. Part. You're right. It was. That's an excellent point. That's true. Yeah. I mean, we, we skipped over this whole concept of like another trope, which is the anxiety of the first boy girl party, which is another one that we read about in a lot of books and watch in a lot of movies and TV shows. And, you know, we have, of course, like Stacy and Don and I think Claudia too, who are like totally fine with their first boy girl party. And Marianne and Christy, not so much because they are, quote, not ready or like too shy. And yeah, it's not what Marianne would have wanted. Even though she loved hanging out with Logan, I think Marianne's ideal party would have just been like hanging out with the Babysitter's Club. Exactly. Yeah. So I think that was a great point. Maybe they don't know her as well as they think they know her. So let's talk a little bit about the compromise that they strike with Logan at the end of the book. So I don't even, the whole, I will say, there are so many like transcribed phone conversations in this book. I like lost track of how many times they were talking to each other on the phone about like logistics (laughs) and like asking their parents for permission to do things and being in the club or not being in the club. So I don't even really remember how we landed here, but we do land at a point where they decide that they want Logan to like be in some way involved in the club but they don't want him to have full privileges. And he doesn't really want to be in the club either because he doesn't want to go to meetings. And, you know, I have mixed feelings about that. If you're going to be in the club and if you're going to benefit from their hard work, you should have to go to the meetings like everybody else. Right. But they decide, like, we'll just make him an associate member. And that means that we'll, like, call him when we need him. And he, of course, happens to know, even though he's only been here for, like, a couple of weeks or months, he like already knows all these other guys who babysit. And so they will also be associate members. What do we think of this compromise? Oh, the other boys are going to be associate members too? Yeah, he was like, I know some people who babysit. (laughs) (laughs) But that doesn't actually really happen though, right? No. That's like a... Yeah. The other associate member is like Shannon Kilborn, but she doesn't, Mm -hmm. she hasn't shown up yet, I guess. No, not yet. That's okay. So true. We never really see these other unnamed potential associate babysitters it's just logan yeah i guess it's a good compromise i mean yeah i guess it's a good compromise i feel like yeah it's just interesting like how um they've landed on this like argument for like a separatist girls only space (laughs) Um, and that that's the compromise they come up with to um have that endure it's also, it's Marianne's idea, which seems important too. I'm just mm. looking back here. Yeah, she's the one who who comes up with it, the idea to make him some kind of special men- member. I think that is an important point. I appreciate you bringing that up because I did not make note of that. But I think maybe it indicates that like Marianne is going to do a good job of integrating like a potential new relationship into her mm. friendships mm-hmm. and her business that she's a part of because that is hard. Like that's a really hard thing to weather and we see them sort of negotiating that a little bit early on in the book like they're they have different lunch like there's a lot of like shifting happening at the beginning of eighth grade and now Marianne's gonna have to learn how to juggle her new boyfriend with all these other things she has going on and maybe the fact that she suggests this compromise means that she's going to do a good job I love that reading yeah that's a really good point yeah like it would be a lot to like bring your romantic interests into your like your group of friends in that way Yeah, I mean, nobody feels good when that happens in real life. Like, nobody (laughs) is really that into the friend who's like, 
I have this new special someone in my life and they now go with me wherever I go. And you're like, but that's not really, they don't know. That's, that's not <laughs> what we agreed to. That never ends well. So maybe Marianne is already ahead of that problem. I like to think that she is. And I do think like we leave Marianne in an interesting place because as much as I hate that like there was this pressure that she felt from friends, like the world to mature in some way and like let go of her attachment to her dad and her braids and like all these other things, I guess it is, it's good that she is at least like becoming a little bit less nervous, a little bit less afraid. So I think, I think there's like good and bad that comes with this notion of her maturing as she begins her eighth grade year. Yeah, I think the one thing that we haven't talked about is Christy, like the effects of all this on on Christy, who gets who, who Logan really sidelines after Dawn has already sidelined her to a certain extent. <laughs> and poor Christy is having a bad year. <laughs> yeah, I pulled out one. So Christy's like struggling because she had to move and she's like in this new house. She's not that comfortable in her new neighborhood. She like just feels I she's clearly feeling very out of sorts, even in the friend group. There's the new lunch tables. Marianne makes a comment about how Christy is the only one who's not wearing a bra, which I did make note of because it felt very Judy Bloom to me. And then Christy also says to Dawn, you know, I was always the brave one and Marianne was always the scaredy cat. Now everything's reversed. And suddenly she's, I don't know, ahead of me and I've been left behind. Yeah, that quote was like a key moment in your essay, Megan, that really struck me a lot. (laughs) Oh, yeah. We rarely see Christy have that kind of insight, actually. Or maybe that's not true. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if that's totally true. But it does seem like a really, you know, like a revelation for her. A painful one at that. Yeah, I don't think we get much of a resolution for her at the end of the book, do we? Mm -mm. No. Yeah, she doesn't get a ton of page space here. The fact that Marianne uh, calls Logan to go get the kitten seemed like a notable, like, okay, who's number one now? Logan Bruno. What happened to Christy, first best friend? What happened to Dawn, second best friend? They've been, you know, supplanted. Yes, I forgot about the fact that Christy was not the first call to go get the kitten. And you know that any 13-year-olds would love to be the first call to go get the kitten. I mean, I'm 30 and I'd love to be the first call to go get the kitten. If anybody (laughs) wants help going to get a kitten, let me know. But no, it's true. Like Christy is already kind of being like replaced by these new friendships. Marianne doesn't live next door to Christy anymore. So they've lost that commonality. And now Marianne has Logan in her life. And there's this like added layer of this thing that Logan represents to Marianne being something that Christy is unsure about. And that makes Christy feel very insecure about like her, for lack of a better phrase, like rate of maturity, which is not something that you should be thinking about when you're 13 years old. Right. Yeah, it's just like, think again, like making me think so much about your piece, Megan, like how um, the coding around like readiness is so much about like heterosexuality, like, and that she's now supposed to like feel bad about that. Like there's this, there's a moment in the, in the book that feels so, felt so strange to me when they go to the dance and they're like, Christy's wearing jeans and Marianne says, narrates something like, we can never get her out of blue jeans or something. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's like, just like this kind of strange moments of like, I don't know, like 
compulsory like gender norms slipping in that seem almost like a little surprising um to find in this mm -hmm. book mm -hmm. totally we just couldn't seem to get her out of blue jeans that was the line <laughs> like why can't she just wear blue jeans to the dance what is wrong with that here here <laughs> i mean it feels gratuitous it's like anna and martin like wanted to make it clear that like just so you know marianne knows that people don't wear jeans to dances like we you know i just want everybody to know that like i'm recognizing that this is an uncommon thing that christy is doing which just feels so unnecessary and I think we're also just not to see, we're not used to seeing Christy insecure. Like that's not like a place that she's comfortable and it's not a place that I'm comfortable seeing her. Mm -hmm. So that's a shame. I don't like to see that. And I don't like that we don't get a resolution. I don't like that she and, and Marianne don't have some sort of like resolving conversation at the end. And we're kind of like left hanging as to what's going to happen, how Christy's going to like navigate these new dynamics. And of course she will, because there are like a thousand more books, but I wish there had been a cliffhanger on that mm. element. So on the whole, I would love your thoughts on how this particular book holds up in 2021 versus memories that you have of it from when you were growing up. And I'm sure that this is complicated by the deep dive that you have taken into the whole series, which you're welcome to, of course, include as part of you know the thoughts that you're going to share. But generally speaking, how do you think this holds up to your memory of either the particular book or the series as a whole? Megan, do you want to go first? Sure. I mean, I think it holds up pretty well. Yeah, I think it's one of the strongest books in the series, maybe with just like the the complexity of the feelings, like all of the ways in which I guess like the the kind of fraughtness of uh, this new intimacy and, and how it is like, you know, repositioning potentially repositioning like so many of the relationships. Yeah, it just, it seems like a real kind of, yeah, like a really important turning point of the series um, and it holds up for me. And I think the writing is is like pretty on point for the most part, like for the BSC books. What about you, Marissa? Yeah, well, speaking of the writing, like I just wanted to note that one of the things I enjoyed most in this book was um, Marianne like narrating the planning of her own surprise party in <laughs> absentia. It was like, oh, yeah. so wonderful. I was like, is that something she normally does? Because there are a couple of moments where Marianne was like, I wasn't here for this, but let me tell you what happened. And I'm like, <laughs> all of my writing teachers right now, if they could only see, like, this is not how it works. You, you're not allowed to do this. <laughs> Some experimental point of view choices. Seriously. <laughs> yeah. Anna Martin is really just, she's all about the experimentation. <laughs> I know, seriously. Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like it holds up pretty well. Like, um, definitely like more gendered messages around like romance that I remembered in the series. Um, like Megan, I remember you talking about how the in the book about how like Sweet Valley was like a lot more focused on like romantic relationships with boys. And I feel like the Babysitter's Club, like, yeah, I don't remember it that way as being like really focused on like relationships with boys in this way. And yeah, so it's just interesting, like seeing that I think if it were written today, maybe, well, I don't know, like, I feel like they do act very like, they do act very, um, they are very focused on Logan in a lot of ways um, and focused on this idea of like one way to mature that involves like dating boys that maybe would not be the way they would write it today, hopefully. 
Yeah, I think those are both great recaps and reflect a lot of my feelings about this experience as well. I enjoyed this one, actually. Um, and while I didn't necessarily enjoy like some of Logan's comments, and I agree that a lot of the like messaging about relationships and like what it means to be ready to be in a relationship were gendered and like definitely on the problematic side or at least outdated by our standards today, I thought it was a, a fun read. I'd love to know if there are other things that you've been reading lately that you would recommend to our listeners. Anything counts, doesn't have to be YA, whatever you've been loving lately. Lots of books. I've been reading um, Big Friendship by Anne Friedman and Amina, Amina Tuso, um, which is really awesome. I've been really so enjoying good. that. Uh, lots of BSC themes in there. <laughs> I've sent that book to like four friends over the pandemic, like who, people who I haven't seen. I've just, that's been like my my go-to is like, if I miss you and you're going through a hard time, I just send big friendship because I, I loved that book so much. Nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I still need to read that. I've been reading, um, I just recently finished uh, Girlhood by Melissa Phoebos, which is, which is really outstanding. Um, a collection of essay of personal essays, but she weaves in um, conversations with um, other women into some of the essays. Um, so it becomes it has like a real collective kind of sweep getting into some of like a lot about like um, the experience of having been over sexualized as a as a girl. Well, I will include links to those recommendations in the show notes for this episode, as well as a link to your book, We Are the Babysitter's Club. And we have been hinting at it and referencing it throughout this episode, but I'd love to give you a chance to share anything else that our listeners need to know, other than the fact, listeners, that we're going to be running a giveaway over on Instagram this week. So if you're listening in real time, be sure to check out SSR's Instagram and see if you can get your hands on a copy. And if you don't win, you should still buy a copy because it's a really cool book. And if you listen to this podcast you are going to love it. Um, but I would love Megan and Marissa to give you a chance to share any other thoughts or anything else about the experience of putting this book together. So we are the Babysitter's Club. Essays and artwork from grown-up readers um, includes 24 uh, essays that and, art, and works of art that range from like personal essays to more critical um, examinations of various aspects of the, of the series. Um, some of our some of our contributors include Kristen Arnett, Jack Shepard, who is the co-creator of the podcast, um, The Babysitter's Club Club, uh, Miriam Gerba, Jamie Broadnax, Jean Thornton, um, Gabby Moss, who we've mentioned earlier, Frankie Thomas, Sue Ding, who uh, directed The Claudia Kishi Club, um, which is on Netflix. I'll stop there. Do you have anything to add? Marissa? Yeah, um, that's, that's basically it. Yeah, just like a lot of different writing and, and essay uh, writing and artwork. Um, and it comes out July 6th. And um, you can pre order it on bookshop.org and support independent bookstores if you don't want to go into a bookstore. <laughs> but um, but yeah, we're so excited to talk with you about it. Yeah, all the links that you'll find um, in the show notes and basically across all SSRs stuff will take you to the bookshop.org page um, because that's who I like to support too. So listeners, go support indie bookstores. Go check out this book. Congratulations, Megan and Marissa on the book. I think it's so cool. I've been so excited to talk to you and I just really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having us. This has been a lot of yeah. fun. Bye. SSR is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Thanks so much for listening to the SSR podcast. 
Check out our website at www.ssrpodcast.com for show notes and other information. And be sure to connect with us on social media for updates on upcoming episodes, behind the scenes inside scoop, and some good old fashioned book talk. Find us at SSR Pod on Instagram and Twitter and search SSR Podcast on Facebook to join the group. To reach out directly, you can send me an email at hellossrpod at gmail.com. If you're loving the show, it would mean so much if you could subscribe, leave a five-star review, and share your thoughts with a comment. And don't forget to tell your friends, too. In the meantime, happy reading. I'll see you next time on the SSR Podcast.